And it was my first existential crisis. So I would say decided, I knew I was going to go to university, but I went, what is the most creative thing I could think of? And being from the bush, I didn't know that, you know, theater, film industry, music industries actually existed in my small community in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. What could I do? And I thought, teaching drama won't kill me. That was the actual (laughs) prerequisite. And once I got to the university, they put me all in these theater classes to learn about drama. And it was there that my whole world opened up. So I was in my first theater play. I was in my first film. And I was in my first band all in that first year. And my whole world opened up. So it's like Bush Girl sort of awakened all at once and, and had a journey to go to really understand those industries, but that's where it started. And you currently star in the CTV series Sullivan's Crossing. Can you tell us about that show and the character that you play? Mm-hmm. Which is also going to be on the CW in the U.S. in the fall of 2023, depending on when you're listening to this. The series of books are the same author as Virgin River. So Robin Carr wrote a series of books called Sullivan's Crossing and a series of books called Virgin River. And Virgin River, as many people know, is a huge Netflix hit. And it's this love story. It's the love stories of the the small town girl or the big city girl who comes to the small town and sort of, and it's what Robin Carr is really good at is creating small town community life. And in the books, it's mostly an all white community, but in the series of both Virgin Ridge River and Sullivan's Crossing, it's more of a diverse community. So I play a Métis woman married to a Cree man who are both living on, on Mi'kmaq territory, which is in Nova Scotia. And so we I'm the auntie, I'm the nice, loving auntie of the community. <laughs> Whereas the, my young adopted niece, I guess you could say, she is home for the first time in 15 years. And she's got a whole bunch of complications in her life. And I'm just there to help the family work it all out. (laughs) In being part of the entertainment industry, I would just love to hear your thoughts about how representation was when you started and how it's maybe evolved or not evolved. Kind of like what changes have you noticed since you began your career? Well, first of all, representation matters. Just straight up, let's just say that. You know, I am one of the fortunate ones because my proximity to whiteness is, is much closer than some of my First Nations and Métis brothers and sisters. So I have had a career that I could play an Indigenous character or I could not play an Indigenous character. And that makes me very, very lucky. Now, on paper, most casting directors see me as an Indigenous person, but when they see my face, it's so I, I tend to go for Indigenous roles. But as a Métis person in Canada, for people listening, they may not know that in Canada there are three Indigenous peoples of Canada. There are First Nations, which a lot of Americans would consider Native Americans, right? The, the first peoples of this land. Um, that border that exists between U.S. and Canada doesn't exist for Indigenous people. It never did. So we're relatives. So there's First Nations people. There's Inuit, who are the ones up north, who have been there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And then there's the Métis people, which is what I am. And we are the newest nation. And we are a mix of European and First Nations people. So our culture developed 400 years ago because we were descendants of the of the first fur traders and Coeur de Bois that came down the river systems to the plains. And we had the, the last war in Canada was against the Métis people, you know, establishing our territories. So as a Métis person, there are not, I, I have played First Nations characters and I have played white characters. 
but not very often have I played Métis characters. When I spoke to the showrunner and producer of Sullivan's Crossing, Roma Roth, she said, oh, well, I think she should be Métis, and I just burst into tears. <laughs> yes, you know, I can be my own people. I can represent my own people because we're moving into a time of specificity, which is good, you know, saying, you know, I'm this Chinese person should not play an indigenous person or or even within the indigenous community, Lakota person playing a Nehiao person. You know, there's cultural differences. Everyone thinks, oh, indigenous, we're all splat one people. But we're as different as Europe is to the, Euro you know, the European people to each other. So we have many, many different cultural understandings and our languages are very different. So when we can, there's this specificity beginning. But before, you know, indigenous people were were given the most stereotypical roles. We were re-traumatized every time we were in a character. So the fact that roles are being written by Indigenous people for Indigenous people is creating such a revolution, a revelation, revolution, both. You know, it's, it's a renaissance where people are going, oh, Indigenous people are funny? Oh, Indigenous people have loving, tender relationships? Oh, cool. Oh, Indigenous people are lawyers and smart and rich and, and uh, ceremony. What? You know, all these things that, you know, stereotypical characters written by non-Indigenous people would portray us as. So we are in a time of wonderful specificity and change. I would say that's still, we're still not even close to full representation. We are you know, like if you look, oh, everyone was celebrating the Oscars. Look how many diverse people. But were there any Indigenous people, the people of this land, where were they being lauded in front of those, you know, on the big screens? So I'm. Uh, there's a long way to go, but there are some beautiful changes and I think some awareness in some people in higher echelons. But the funding bodies, the big production, the big studios, they still have to get on board. They got to figure it out. <laughs> We got a long way to go. Yes, they definitely need to figure it out. <laughs> As part of your heritage, you have several elemental names that deeply inform your work. Can you share those with us and their meaning? I've been given, I carry two traditional names, and my teachers, I have been taught by many Nehiao Cree teachers, and my first name given to me in ceremony is Notogoy uh, Din, which means Grandmother Wind. And it was a name that took me a while to walk into because I went, whoa, that's an elder's name. Ay, 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 I'm not touching that. <laughs> but, you know, there's an old lady inside of me and there always has been. So it's like I had to own that, that old little wise one inside me. So Grandmother Wind and then the most or a recent, more recent name given to me in ceremony is Nin Shkotekwe. I am firewoman in Anishinaabemowin by my Michif Anishinaabe teacher in ceremony. So I work with the, the elements. I work with the four sacred elements. I work with the four sacred bodies. I work with the four sacred directions. Uh, so I have these affinities already, and it didn't occur to me till my second name that I went, oh my goodness, <laughs> these are wind and fire. I'm a life giver, which means I sing water songs, and I do water ceremonies, so there's that water, and I'm I'm a Capricorn. I was born of an earth sign. <laughs> and I'm a child of the earth, as we all are. We, um, the earth is my mother, as she's your mother. So I knew that the elements were informing my work already. And then in ceremony, given these names, 
it was sort of an encouragement to say you have you're following the right path and you still have to develop understanding of this part of yourself. I want to touch on that because you have obviously away from the stage and away from the camera, you have this role in feminine leadership. And I would love to just hear how you found that path forward and how that, that became a focus in your work. Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Thank you. As you know, um, my history, my job, I guess, my career has been mostly through performance of acting and singing and writing what I do. And so that was following my spiritual path. That's following my, my role here, you know, my purpose. But there was always a part of me that has this teacher inside of me. And so after a while, I started to realize, and I call myself a Métis medicine wheel, uh, because I'm always working with the four directions, the four elements, the four bodies. But then I realized, well, of course, I wouldn't be just an actor and a singer or an actor, singer, writer. Oh, I'm an actor, singer, writer, speaker. So there's always this this fourth element of a messenger of some sort. You know, and I lived with that understanding for a while, but there was still something missing. You know, the, the last five years, there's been a huge development of understanding what the center point of that medicine wheel is. And the center point of who I really am if you were to look at all my career of everything that comes from me, there seems to be this theme. And I realized that I'm here as a facilitator of the rise of the sacred feminine. And that's a term, you know, a lot of people hear about there's a rising of the divine feminine, you know, but in, in my indigenous elders, I heard from a gathering of elders back in 2012, there was a gathering and they came up with a message for humanity and it was there that the late Elder Dave Kershane said that there's a rise of the sacred feminine right now. And for me, I had a million pathways converge into one. I finally understood because I'd been listening to people coming out of the lodges and, and listening to prophecies and all sort of saying about the rise of women, the, this next time is an era of women or the time of the earth or all these concepts. But when I heard the rise of the sacred feminine, everything made sense. It's like the rise of the sacred feminine is, includes everybody. The sacred feminine, the ultimate, penultimate voice of the feminine is the earth. It's the rise of the sacred feminine and the rise of value for all of these feminine things in life that have been devalued. Women have been devalued. Children have been devalued. Elders have been devalued. Land-based cultures have been devalued. The earth herself has been exploited and abused. And emotional expression, all things feminine are considered weak or messy or embarrassing or less than the masculine. So all of that has to come into balance. And so when I realized that this was what I was here to do, was help balance this, help bring understanding and value to all things feminine, that's when I realized that I was, that's what I'm here to do. And I use singing, I use acting, I use writing, and I use speaking to be that facilitator. I use all those things to help bring balance to the planet. Do you explore this idea that we have traditionally leaned into the masculine energy at the expense of this sacred feminine wisdom. Why do you think that has been so devastating to our spirits as a whole, not just to women, but also to men? Yeah. Well, I think that the sacred masculine is beautiful. It is necessary. It is expanding. It's focused. It's determined. It's logical. It has creates beautiful structures. But when all of those things are created at the expense or ignoring all of the tempering aspects of the sacred feminine, then true imbalance happens. Then we see, ooh, this isn't good. 
because then it turns competitive. There's a lack of compassion. So all the things conquered, where's the compassion? Where, you know, the, the things get devastated. And we conquer our own bodies. We conquer our, everything around us. And so if systems have been created with this lack of compassion and a lack of caring or understanding about consequences, then we have the world we live in today. We have a world that devastates and exploits Mother Earth, that kills and brutalizes women and thinks that's allowed. So, you know, we all know this, but when a society at large behaves in this way, we birth sick people. As my elders would say, we, we start practicing backwards ways. Whereas the nurturing aspect of life allows us to sit and listen in stillness. We feel, ooh, when something is unjust. We feel when this is a wrong decision. Your intuition goes, ooh, that policy is not good. No, oh, this, if we build there, that feels wrong. You know, like emotional expression, the feminine intuition of listening to how it feels or listening to what the ancestors say about a decision is lacking. So when you see all these devastating projects, building projects, dam projects, oil industry, you know, all of these projects that seem to be so innovative, they're brutal to the earth and they're brutal to humanity. So if the feminine intuition was allowed into these decision-making processes, there might be a, yeah, that'll kill that entire ecosystem. Is that a good decision, you know? So we are moving into a time where females and actual women leaders are accessing and allowing themselves to access that type of wisdom. Because the women of old, we had to act like men in order to get to where we wanted to get. What I understand, and all of me and all of my sisters who I've noticed, we have used our masculine skills to thrive in this world. And then we all hit a point, boom, where it stopped working. You're not meant to continue this way. My body broke down, my emotional body, other people. I have people in their 40s, my sisters, who had brain tumors, woke up paralyzed, had Lyme disease, who had nervous breakdowns, who, you know, you name it, strokes. All of us stopped in our tracks for whatever reason. And we were being asked by our own spirits to say, you can't continue like you were because you're not supposed to. So find ways that add in your feminine nature, your self-care into these systems. Because if it's hard for you, imagine how hard it is for your male counterparts, the ones who are not necessarily led by their intuition. So what if you were the teachers of that? And that's not even including what the teachers of our two-spirited transgender non-binary teachers have to say. That's just the straight-out cisgendered, you know, teachers at the moment. Long answer. <laughs> no, it was fantastic answer. I'm just intensively listening because there's so much. I'm just like, yes, yeah, thinking about that. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. This episode of the Girls That Create podcast is brought to you by the Girls That Create website, where we provide parenting resources for raising creative girls, while also encouraging greater female representation across the arts. Visit us at www.girlsthatcreate.com, where you'll find articles by some of our podcast guests, including Dr. Michelle Borba, Jessica Leahy, Renee Trudeau, and many more. You can also sign up for the Girls That Create newsletter at www.girlsthatcreate.com newsletter. 
She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U.S. survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Are you experiencing insomnia, brain fog, hot flashes, mood swings, and more? These are many of the symptoms women experience on a daily basis affecting the health of their brain and increasing the risk for dementias like Alzheimer's disease down the road. A healthy lifestyle can make a big difference for the health of the brain, but Brain Love Health took it further and created an innovative nutritional supplement, especially for women, to support us through this transitional time while also promoting better sleep and long-term brain health. Don't wait any longer to help your brain age well. Why let it deteriorate? The health of your brain is in your hands. To begin protecting it today, visit brainlovehealth.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. My guest today is Andrea Menard, creator of the Seeds from the Sacred Feminine Wisdom Cards. Your most recent project is that you create a wisdom card deck. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you tell me about that? Because I feel that it leans into all the things that you just mentioned about how to help people have a tool, in a sense, to reconnect with the feminine energy. Yes, thank you. Yes, I, for those who are listening, I just pointed on the screen. I have a little deck of cards behind me I'm showing people. <laughs> so this is my brand new little deck of cards, the Seeds from the Sacred Feminine. And it is the first tool I wanted to create when I created my company called the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge. And I thought, how do I put all of this knowledge into something that people can understand. How can I create a tool that can make it simple for people? Because as an indigenous person, I have this understanding, this indigenous ways of knowing, which is land-based, which is recognizing that everything is interconnected. Every action you make affects me and the rest of the world, you know. And we have leaders that don't operate in that way. So what if that information were to grow to the non-indigenous population because indigenous people already know that so what if it were to grow and I thought and how could I do that and a deck of cards seemed to be the most tactile easy 
way to do that. So I connected with my grandmothers who are my teachers from the spirit realm and I said, so how do we do this? And, and I came up with some very simple, and, they, and, and they're deceptively simple, because they seem like, well, huh? You know, oh, that's one is drink water. That's very, very, very basic. But ultimately, there are teachings of water within it. The deck of cards, there are 52 cards, and they're like an oracle deck where you can pick a card, and there's little sayings on them. And I'm just showing on the screen a few of them. And we'll talk about the Leodorian's artwork in a moment. But, you know, there's just little sayings on them where you can intuitively ask a question and maybe a card will hit. But in my book, there's some sayings, there's some teachings. And let's say drink water, you know, it's very, very basic. But if you listen and go into the teachings, there's a lot of different levels that can trickle down into your spiritual knowing that you may not catch at first. So I'm here to help bring those land-based ideas and teachings into the wider-based culture to help people not only walk gently with themselves, but to walk gently, to help them walk gently on the planet too. That's my ultimate goal, is that we need to, as a human species, learn to recognize that we are part of a beautiful ecosystem of life, and we need to start honoring life itself and so one little deck of cards one little card at a time will help you learn how to take care of you and when you become gentler you approach the world in a gentler way your empathy grows your capacity to feel grows and that helps you make decisions that are better for all and you mentioned the illustrator uh, leah dorian how did you connect with her and how did you help kind of collaborate to make you know what's obviously in your mind all of a sudden become physical well I love this story because Leah Dorian and I, she's a Métis painter from Saskatchewan where I, we went to school together. And I have been around when she, I was there when she first started painting and, and she started bringing through teachings from the grandmothers too. She worked with the grandmothers, but her medium was painting and I worked with the grandmothers through words and through singing. And when these cards started coming to me and I asked the grandmothers about the sayings and what do I say and... And Leodorian, Leodorian, Leodorian kept coming. And I said, oh, well, maybe I'll ask her for one painting that I could license and, and use just for one painting at the back of each card. You know, and it would be the same picture because I didn't know. But when I reached out to her, she went, yes, Andrew, I've always wanted to do a deck of cards. How many cards are there? And I said, well, it turns out that there's 413, so it's 52. That's a regular deck of cards. But I didn't plan that. And she goes, well, I have like a hundred and some high-res photos of my paintings. So why don't you send me your sayings, your teachings, and I'll see what matches. And when you look at the cards themselves, you're going to think that whoop, they fit like a hand in glove. You would think that my teachings prompted her creating these paintings, and that's not the case at all. It's like we both had the teachings, and they came together like a hand in glove. Well, they're beautiful. From uh, Aren't they beautiful? They're gorgeous. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge. You mentioned that earlier that the card is kind of a little bit of a branch off from that, but can you share more about what it is and what happens there? The Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge, it's not even a branch off. It To me, it's okay. like the calling card, okay. you know? It's like, what is the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge? Well, the cards sort of help you understand what it is. It was, it was the place, if the medicine wheel that I am, the actor, singer, writer, speaker, exists out in the world, all my acting and singing you can find, 
but you couldn't find what I was creating and understanding and starting to download and starting to write about. I didn't have a place for all of that knowledge, the facilitator of the rise of the sacred feminine. So I said, well, how can I help? I've been creating these little courses. I've been creating, I'm doing new moon circles. Where do I place all of this? And so that's how the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge was born. And it basically was born right at the beginning of COVID. So it's never been a physical place and it's never been a live events, which I always thought it would be. It's been sort of online, but that's been perfect during COVID. It was, it was a place where people were so isolated and alone and, at the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge during my courses, like Matrix and Training, which is for Indigenous women and Two-Spirit people only, we found that this intimate space was really conducive. You know, we couldn't get together in person. And, and I'm hoping that it grows into in-person events, but at the moment it's still all the things that I'm creating seem to be working online because my New Moon Circles, people from all over the globe find their way to our My New Moon Circle. So at the moment it's online, but it's doing fine because we can reach more people that way. Absolutely. I do want to talk about, you give a really powerful TEDx talk and it was titled Silent No More, Using Your Voice to End Violence Against Women. And you also released an accompanying song with it. Both of which are very moving, powerful. I teared up a little bit. Can you share, you, there's a story that you mentioned about how your elder encouraged your younger self to find and use your voice. And I would love to just hear about that and then also why it is so crucial for women to discover that voice and to use the voice. Because I feel we're at times growing up, sometimes there's a push and pull of you want to say something, but then you're almost like, I think it's possibly fear, doubt, the pushback, what's going to happen sometimes stops us. But for lack of better words, I feel we are in such a crisis in a sense that women just absolutely have to just put that all away and start speaking out and standing up. Yeah. Well, in the rise of the sacred feminine, there is a rise of voices that have been left out of the systems. So my TEDx talk sort of came out at the Me Too movement. I mean, I did not choose that topic. It's like that topic chose me at a time where it was an awake, an opening of the voice. You know, and it doesn't mean that women have not been doing this for a long, long time. The feminist movement was about hear us, hear us, hear us, you know, but that's just one voice. Then you have all the voices that we're hearing now very loudly from the vegan community, you know, from the protection of animals, the protection of the earth, the environmental, the transgendered, two-spirited, non-binary community, all these voices, the, all of those voices are coming home, the voice of woman. So all of these voices that are rising is uncomfortable for the status quo, but it's so important because we are safer in mass, you know, without the new, the Me Too movement and the sheer number of women who went, it shocked our male counterparts. It shocked them that almost every woman they knew, me too, yeah, me too. And it was just so, you know, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we all know this, don't you? <laughs> but the fact that we started having courage to speak out, like I said, I did not choose that topic. The topic chose me. And during the writing of my TEDx talk, like you saw it, I talk about a burning lump in my throat when I experienced sexual violence and I couldn't speak about it. 
And during the writing and the recreating of these stories, I got that burning lump come back. So it's like I had to remember what it felt like to be voiceless and to silence my voice. And that particular thing is the thing that people respond to in my TEDx talk, is that that not speaking up, because that is a global phenomenon of being silenced, of a culture not welcoming voices of dissent, voices of pain, voices of truth, voices of injustice. So it's really important that we speak now, and, and we're finding it, you know, like it's almost like in order for healing to happen, is the voices that have been, haven't been heard are going to come out kind of messy and sloppy and, and loud and a little bit, you know, ugh, you know, scary for other people, but it's a necessary time. It's a necessary balancing act because if we've had, this is the voices we've heard, we need to hear, whew, it has to be, oh, this is the full circle. This is the full story, not just the victor's story, which is usually a white male. <laughs> we've heard this story. You know, we need to balance it up. And every voice that has the courage to speak up during these times, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Like it's messy. It's hard to hear, but we're, it has to be spoken. It has to be said. It has to, we have to move through that silencing throat in order to find balance. That's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And it's important that it happens and it's going to be messy for a while, but it's, we're moving towards something better. What advice would you have? They have a girl or a young woman who's interested in pursuing acting theater, song, you know, they're kind of, they're being drawn to that. What advice would you give them that you wish you had known when you started out? First of all, if that's your calling, that's your calling. You'll know if that's where you go, your eyes light up and your heart, you know, your, your smile is a mile wide. That's your calling. And when something calls you, no matter what it is, that is your purpose. That is your path to follow. And so for someone in the arts or who interested in the arts who are artistic in nature, creative in nature, they will know that it's a, a lot of rejection. They'll have to know it's a lot of a rejection. So if this is your path and this is your calling, then you just have to go, that's just part of it. And that's just part of this job. I will have to be my champion. Because no one out there might be. But if this is my calling, then it's between me and my spirit. No one can tell me it's not. And so you will find your way. And it doesn't mean that you will fit into the models that exist. You might come and create something new. You might be a creator of something that nobody's seen before. So just because somebody said nobody's done that before doesn't mean it can't be done. So whatever your purpose is, follow it. Listen to your own inner wisdom. Because your calling is your contribution to the betterment of society. And we need you. What are you working on now? What's next for you? Oh, for heaven's sakes. Well, I'm just about to go off and shoot season two of Sullivan's Crossing. I'm still uh, seeing the beautiful fallout of my Mitch of Language album. It's a giveaway album that I wrote. I worked with elders all across the Métis homeland to create a Mitch of Language album because the Mitch of Language is in jeopardy and there's not many uh, Mitch of Language speakers left. So we have many different, not quite dialects, but, you know, the Mitch of Language is a traveling language 
from one territory to the next, depending on who the nations who lived around you were, because Métis people sometimes were translators. So you have Cree Michif, you have French Michif, you have Heritage Michif, and a whole bunch of others. So I tried to go into those different communities and, and work with people who spoke that dialect. So I'm seeing the fallout of that, which is beautiful people learning my water songs and learning the prayer songs, which is lovely, and the deck of cards. I guess so nothing new at the moment. I'm sort of following the fallout of these all these big releases I had this year, <laughs> new series, and my play Rababoo, which is a new show I have as well. So it's going to be in a couple of different theaters. I just released it this spring, and it's going to be in a, another theaters in Canada next year and then the year after. So there's some there's some fallout of all the things I created during COVID. <laughs> uh, I, I had no idea that all four parts of my medicine wheel would be going at the same time, but hey, I'm I'm up for that, and I'm I'm really proud of all the things that came out of it. With every sale of my cards, my seeds from the Sacred Feminine Wisdom cards, a portion of the proceeds go to the Clan Mother's Healing Village, which is a place that has long-term vision of helping women, girls, transgender, non-binary, two-spirited people who've been sexually abused, exploited, and trafficked. And it's a way of integrating these these people back into the world in a safe way and creating a land base that focuses on matriarchal and matrilineal teachings, clan mothers and grandmother teachings, which are land-based, which are ceremonial-based, and which are all about healing and reintegration. So I'm really proud to be a part of the Clan Mother's Healing Village and that every deck, every deck has a contribution. So somehow there's full circle and that relationship has just been amplified because Mango Publishing, who's my publisher, they got on board with this and, you know, publishers don't do this. So I'm really proud of Mango Publishing for getting on board with it. So that's all what's next. <laughs> well, all this is wonderful and congratulations. Andrea Menard, thank you so much for being on the Girls That Create podcast today. Really happy to be here, Erin. Marcy, Marcy. To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. I actually purchased my own seeds from the Sacred Feminine deck and would like to close out by reading the beautiful dedication Menard placed at the beginning of its book. I dedicate this wisdom card deck to the Sacred Mother and to all those who have yet to know the love she offers. Here's our closing theme song by Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Erin Prather Stafford. She is sure, she is sure, she is strong, she is strong, she is true.